It's no surprise that the majority of the world's cocaine is produced in just three countries. Bolivia, Peru, and Colombia. The largest cocaine consumer markets are in the United States and Europe. After decades of media coverage of violent turf wars over cocaine trafficking routes through Central America and Mexico, it may pique your interest to learn that South America's southern countries have become the region's new battleground for organized crime. Containers shipped from Colombia, Ecuador, and Brazil are routinely searched for drugs and other contraband. Not only at the ports of departure, but also at the ports of destination. This necessitates the establishment of new dispatch points. For these reasons, ports in Chile, Argentina, and Uruguay have become prized real estate for international cocaine logistics. There is laxity when it comes to searching for container ships departing from these ports. As a result, much more discreet cocaine pipelines to the United States and Europe are guaranteed. Since the late 1970s, Latin American drug cartels have flooded the United States with tons of cocaine, expanding their market to include Europe. Since their involvement in this trade, cartels have responded to anti-drug trafficking policies by changing their operating procedures or transit routes. However, their appetite for trafficking more and more cocaine and increasing their profits has never receded. The cartel's adaptability has allowed them to thrive in new environments. That resourcefulness includes bribing corrupt officials and expanding their networks in the United States, Asia, Europe, Africa, and, most recently, the Middle East. Cocaine is smuggled into the United States in a variety of ways. It can travel by sea on anything from small boats to commercial fishing vessels to custom-built submarines. These humongous narco-logistics operations are usually pulled off by much more established cartels like the Sinaloa Cartel and their affiliates. Smugglers also use light aircraft to transport drugs from Colombia to Central America, where they are then transported to Mexico and eventually to the United States. In this episode of Baggage Unclaimed, we shall be following the cocaine trail. We look at how cocaine gets from lush coca fields staffed by dirt poor families in South America to upper echelon parties in California and the rest of the US. Humble Beginnings Coca Growing Coca leaves have been used in rituals for at least 5,000 years to alleviate hunger and the effects of living at high elevations in the Andes Mountains and the Amazon Plains. Coca, a natural anesthetic, numbs the mouth and causes lightheadedness when chewed. Tea made from the leaves is a milder stimulant than coffee. Coca planting is permitted in many locations because millions of South Americans, Highland peasants, and Indians fiercely defend these ancient uses of coca. A very small portion of the harvest is also legitimately exported for medical and other purposes. The eastern slopes of the Andes in Peru and Bolivia, where hundreds of steep terraces scale mountain sides as high as 2,000 meters, continue to be the most important coca-growing sites. However, plantations occupy most of the upper Amazon. Some are visible on the lowland plains, while others are buried in the forest. Well-grown cuttings or seed can be used to develop the coca plant, which grows as a shrub or tree. The elliptical leaves can be picked between 6 and 18 months after planting. The plants can keep producing for up to 30 years. The yields vary greatly depending on the type of crop, the soil, the climate, and the level of investment in the plantation. The Tingo Maria region in Peru's eastern Andes can produce six harvests per year, but the average is three or four. One hectare of mature coca plants yields a ton of coca leaves in 12 months with minimal inputs and attention. One pound of cocaine requires 300 pounds of coca leaves. 
Peru is the largest coca leaf producer, with over 60,000 tons, followed by Bolivia with approximately 50,000 tons. However Colombia has the world's largest cocaine trade, with over 15,000 tons. Much of the coca production by Indians and settlers in the Amazon basin's western districts is funded by traffickers in this region. According to experts, Colombia refines around 60% of South America's exports of cocaine. Brazil and Ecuador, on the other hand, have grown fast in the last few years, with minimum estimates of 11,000 and 6,000 tons, respectively. Small plants in other countries, such as Venezuela and Argentina, bring the total to at least 145,000 tons. How cocaine is made. This is not a tutorial. Cocaine is a highly addictive stimulant drug derived from the coca plant's leaves. The substance has a legal history, having been used in medical procedures and beverages such as Coca-Cola. Cocaine is still used legally in the medical field for anesthesia on occasion. However, the substance is primarily used for recreational purposes, which is always illegal. Because street drugs are prepared in an uncontrolled and usually unstable environment, it is difficult to know every single ingredient that is included in the finished product. Clearly, illegal narcotics are produced with very limited regard to human health. Cocaine cutting agents are frequently added along the road by dealers attempting to increase their profits. Regardless, the cocaine making process is often conducted in a consistent fashion. Because coca leaves are hefty, the initial stage of processing usually occurs after the leaves have dried and takes place near the growing area. The leaves are frequently steeped in fuel or kerosene to create a sloppy mixture that is then treated with sulfuric acid, lime, potassium permanganate, or other ingredients based on local procedures and prices. When dried, the mixture forms a crude paste, which is then transported somewhere for further purification into cocaine hydrochloride, the white powder. Chemicals used in the final stage, typically ether and acetone, are expensive, limited, and extremely difficult to procure and transport without detection as a result of controls imposed and highly enforced by law enforcement. However, it is very hard to limit petrol supplies, which are transported all over the Amazon, to power outboard motors, generators, and other equipment. South America produces about 200 tons of cocaine a year. Between 10% and 20% of these are abandoned during transportation or seized by authorities. Attempts in Peru and Bolivia to eradicate coca by replacing other crops have resulted in minimal success. Nothing else offers a comparable income. The U.S.-assisted control effort around Tingo Maria has destroyed 4,000 hectares of coca and compensated growers. These farmers, however, claim that alternative crops require more fertilizer and pest management and provide significantly less cash. The Journey to Mexico The most disturbing tactic in the last 10 years has been the use of narco-submarines. They allow many tons of narcotics to be transported five times more than a fishing boat, while evading U.S. Coast Guard surveillance. Satellite technology has also enabled drug traffickers to drop narcotic shipments into the sea, which are then picked up by recreational boats without arousing suspicion. For many years, the conventional way of transporting drugs that leave South America to the United States has been through fishing boats, speedboats, and light aircraft. Advances in airborne detection and tracking techniques have compelled drug traffickers to seek out new routes to the north. 
As a result, the number of narco submarines has increased rapidly since their first interception by U.S. authorities in 2006. The first sighting was in November 2006, when a U.S. Coast Guard patrolman noticed a blurred shape in the ocean about 100 miles off the coast of Costa Rica. As the agents approached the blur, they discovered three plastic tubes emerging from the water from a submersible ship two meters below the surface. They discovered three tons of cocaine and four men armed with semi-automatic rifles inside the submersible. In September 2008, a U.S. Coast Guard vessel seized a similar submersible 350 miles from the Mexico-Guatemala border. The crew was made up of four men, and the cargo totaled 6.4 tons of cocaine. These things transport as much cocaine as a truck. And this was 10 years ago. Since then, I'm sure their building technology has greatly improved, enabling them to evade detection and capture even better. Many of these self-propelled narco submarines are 15 meters long, made of synthetic materials like fiberglass, and designed to avoid detection by radar or infrared. There have also been models with GPS navigation systems to refuel and receive food at predetermined points along their established route in the ocean. These things are not cheap to build. Such massive operations to transport thousands of pounds of cocaine are mainly done by the filthy rich cartels like the Sinaloa Organization, CJNG, Beltran Leyva Organization, the Gulf Cartel, and the Zetas, before their downfall. Cartels of such magnitude can easily afford to smuggle pure uncut cocaine directly from the South American criminal gangs, paramilitaries, or political militias that produce the stuff. The National Liberation Army, ex-members of the FARC guerrillas who rejected a 2016 peace deal and criminal gangs formed by right-wing former paramilitaries are all involved in the processing and trafficking of cocaine out of Colombia, which we have established as the biggest supplier of cocaine globally. The Mexicans are the principal buyers of the supply of coca produced in Colombia. Fundamentally, Mexican cartels control the buying, trafficking, and selling of cocaine into the United States. Most of them do not even produce the stuff. They are basically just logistics and distribution companies. They cheaply purchase the stuff from South American producers. Sometimes it goes for as low as $3,000 a kilo, and by the time it gets to US cities, it goes for almost $25,000 a kilo or more. The Mexican cartels foot the ridiculously expensive costs of transporting the product from South America, paying for protection, bribing authorities, fueling transport vessels, and fighting off thieves that want to steal the product until it gets into Mexico. Some traffic the product directly into the US, but most make a pit stop in Mexico. They have humongous storage facilities that have labs where the pure South American cocaine is sometimes cut. Cutting cocaine simply means adding other substances to it in order to increase its volume, weight, or even mental power. Cutting is often done to increase profits for the dealers. The Sinaloa cartel is the most active, with connections to the National Liberation Army, former FARC members, and the Gulf Clan criminal gang. The Gulf Clan, not to be confused with the Gulf Cartel, is a paramilitary group in Colombia. The Zetas were linked to the Las Pelisas gang, which controls trafficking along Colombia's border with Venezuela, whereas CJNG purchased from a group in Buenaventura on the Pacific. The Beltran Leyva organization partners with a gang in the southwestern province of Puchimeo, which is also linked to the Sinaloa Cartel. The advancement and generalization of GPS technology has also aided drug traffickers in introducing new innovations. One method has been to fill a vessel shaped like a torpedo with drugs. Similar to a submarine but without a crew and attached to a buoy and a signal emitter. The cable secures the container to the bottom of the ship and can hold up to 7 tons of cocaine. If the ship is stopped, the container can simply be dropped deeper into the water and recovered later by another boat using satellite locators.
The GPS navigation system is also used to deposit drug shipments in U.S. territorial waters, where they can be collected by leisure boats, ships, or a small group of people without raising suspicion. The cocaine package is coated with several layers of material before being waterproofed with a type of foam. The package is placed inside a canvas bag, which is then dropped into the sea, to be recovered by others later. Other methods include the product being hidden in everyday cargo from ports. These are a lot riskier considering the fact that cargo ships are ridiculously searched. This is where the bribes to law enforcement come in. At every point of logistics, someone or a group of people will have to be bribed to look the other way. This has been pretty much the most old-school way of getting cocaine into Mexico and then to the US. Considering the humongous amount of cocaine moved by the cartels, air transport is usually not a very viable method. However, for smaller quantities, private aircraft are sometimes used to get the product onto islands around Mexico and the US. They are later smuggled using other means. In Mexico, Let us just say Mexico is a distribution hub. Just a few cartels are big enough to foot the bill of importing products from South America. Once the product gets to Mexico, a whole lot of people get their finger in the pie. These main top-tier cartels have allies and affiliates in Mexico. They control smaller jurisdictions and the closer these are to the US-Mexico border, the more valuable they are. When the cocaine is safely stored in cartel warehouses in Mexico, it sometimes gets cut, repackaged into smaller quantities, branded and distributed to jurisdictional heads all around Mexico. These plaza bosses control towns and parts of cities and have dozens, sometimes hundreds, of sicarios under their command. These plaza bosses probably only have about 20 kilos of cocaine under their control at any given time. This can sometimes be worth over $350,000. This is big money. Thus the need for security, brutality, and aggressive management. These small plazas sell cocaine to smaller dealers that buy a few kilos to smuggle into the US. They smuggle them in various ingenious ways across the border and, in some cases, use drug mules. The brutal violence comes when these plazas are hit and robbed by smaller gangs or rival cartels to cripple their opponents. Groups like Las Viagras are known for hitting these plazas, stealing inventory, and, in the process, bodies are dropped. This is basically how feuds and long-term cartel conflicts are started. Most of these cartels basically steal from each other all the time. This is why they are always armed to the teeth. Some of these cartels make money by taxing any product that passes through their territory. Failure to pay up always means trouble. This is usually done by cartels closest to the US border. This includes cartels like CJNG, Cartel del Noreste, the Sinaloa Cartel, the Gulf Cartel, etc. I think now you may notice a few familiar names. CJNG and the Sinaloa Cartel are ridiculously profitable because they own pretty much every step in the logistics of cocaine from South American suppliers. They can afford to bring the cocaine from South America because they have their own warehouses in Mexico, they have their own plazas within Mexico, they control prime jurisdiction at the US border, and have their own distribution hubs inside the US. They do not have to pay or affiliate with any other criminal organizations to get things done, so they get to keep all their profits. This is why these cartels are worth billions of dollars. The Border Crossing The majority of products enter the United States in an assortment of vehicles, with drugs hidden in secret compartments in door panels or the roof, gas tanks, tires, and even engines. 
These are done by low-level dealers that transport smaller and manageable potions of the stuff. Smugglers also construct cross-border tunnels, primarily to transport larger amounts of cocaine. Many tunnels are primitive, but others have lighting, tracks, ventilation systems, and even elevators. Since 1990, over 250 tunnels have been discovered on the southwest border. Cargo trains, tractor trailers, and passenger buses have all been extensively used. More products have been brought in, using trucks and trains carrying fresh produce such as watermelons, limes, and other fruits and vegetables. Drug shipments are frequently painted green to blend in and concealed within crates disguised as watermelons or limes. The point is, if a product is to get into the US, it will get in. There's a plethora of ways that cocaine can be smuggled into the country. There are even more people, like emigrants, border community locals, and other everyday people, willing to do whatever it takes to make a few bucks. Once product gets into the US, it gets to storage facilities. From here, it is unpacked, repackaged into smaller quantities, rebranded and distributed to various jurisdictional heads. Who then disperse the product to their street dealers, and that is how you find cocaine in your fancy parties. On the other hand, major cartels like the Sinaloa Organization oversee the logistics of their cocaine into the United States. They bring in hundreds of kilos at a time, considering how much money and influence they have in the process. This high-risk method is however, not used as much. It is not as clear-cut as I've made it seem. A whole lot of people are killed or forced to do unspeakable things along the way. Just to make sure your cocaine gets to you. Thank you for being with me in this standalone episode of Baggage Unclaimed. Please subscribe to the channel or leave a thumbs up, and more similar content is coming your way. If you'd like to support even further, please check out the links in the episode description.